welcome to Escaping Kerberos, the podcast where we rewatch, reminisce, and review everything Doctor Who from 2005 to present. My name is Rich, and I'm joined by someone very much ready for me to rant for an hour about why the Weeping Angel should have never come back after Blink. It's Amy. Yeah, he's not lying that time. That's I know, accurate. I know. It's it's the hill <laughs> I will continue to die on, and I don't understand why people disagree with me. Oh, but we'll get to boy. that. Today's going to be a fun one. In case you haven't guessed by the mentions of Weeping Angels, we're talking about Blink. Finally. Arguably, and I agree with this, the greatest episode of Doctor Who ever made. Yeah, I mean, I've not seen any classic Who, so I can't... Well, actually, it's, no, it's, I lie. I've seen you've Remembrance seen of the Daleks that, that you've sh- shown me. The only classic series you, the only classic serial yeah. you need to see is Remembrance but of the Daleks. I've never seen any other classic Doctor Who. I, mean, oh, I, keep, I think we've, we've discussed this on the podcast before. I need you to watch Genesis of the Daleks because it's just incredible. Have you not shown me that one? I don't think I have. I thought you had. Yeah. Oh, well, I we'll don't see. remember, but anyway, anyway my yeah. point is, Blink. agreed. <laughs> We're jumping straight in, <laughs> straight into the deep end here. That Wait. Blink is the, the best episode of Doctor ever made. Wait, we Amy's have to choice. mention... No, 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 no. We have to mention something completely different first. I was getting to that. I was getting to that. Can, yeah. I, can I go ahead? Okay, go on. You sure? Yeah. Okay. It has been sadly one week since good old Bernard Cribbins has passed away. Yeah. And we just need to have a few moments talking about him and his. I was going to get greatness. the initial sort of brain vomit about Blink. Out I know before we dug into things, but yes, it has but I been. would have forgotten. It has been. It's been a couple of weeks since we last recorded. We were set to record a few weeks ago, and then, as I put on Twitter, things beyond our control got in the way that we couldn't record. So, yeah, that was a as per usual. But um, um, we're here. But in, in unfortunately, as Amy has said, in the meantime, we did indeed lose Bernard Cribbins. A day that, at the end of the day, we all knew was coming. Um, it's the one thing my dad always says, the one certainty in life is death. Thanks, Doug, you miserable bastard. Good um, night. And yeah, we knew it was going to happen one day. And the news of Bernard's passing uh, sent Ripples. big emotional shockwaves through the community both the actors, the people who produced the show, the people who've been watching it for years and years and years, and obviously us, because, mm-hmm. you know, he, he was best known in Doctor Who as Wilf, Donna's granddad, a yeah. character who has, you know, a reasonable amount of screen time. We first see him in Voyage of the Damned, which is, is that the next Christmas special? I think it is. I don't is. know. I think it Maybe. is. So... Yeah, it must be. We did. Did we not see him in um, the Runaway Bride? Nope, didn't he wasn't see him in that. Runaway Bride. Yeah, you see him first when uh, David and Kylie Minogue beam down to Earth when they're uh, ah. don't they? That's the first time we see Wilf. So yeah, okay. he's he's coming up actually. This can be quite sad to see. Um, but yeah, known very much so for Wilf, a character who we've seen bits and pieces of over the course of series four and into the specials, mm-hmm. um, and made such a huge impact as a character that he is genuinely one of the, you know, regarded, widely regarded as one of the best characters in Doctor Who, period. I mean, I wouldn't disagree. He's no. such a fantastic actor and such fantastic character. I mean, there was one quote that I saw that he said after his first episode of... Uh, Doctor Who, New Who, was released. Um, I say New Who because obviously he was in the movies with Peter Cushing. We'll get to that, yeah. Um, 
And he said that pe- kids were coming up to him in the street and calling him granddad. And he was Aww. like, that's so, like, I just thought that's so adorable because you just know that he is everyone's granddad. And yeah, it's he just, is, he is Doctor Who's granddad, you know, even he's fa- like the doctor yeah. himself saw Wilf as a, as a pseudo father figure, mm-hmm. like confiding in him and respecting him in the same way that Wilf respected the doctor so much. Yeah. Not only, you know, giving his granddaughter the most amazing time of her life, but also just as a person, Wilf just respected him so much. I mean, he seems to have a lot of respect for people apart from Daleks and the master, but like, well, yeah, the, the man loves, man loves everyone. And mm-hmm. uh, in terms of stories, um, I heard about how when he was on set, he knew everyone by name. He'd yeah. be he'd be like running after the runners, you know. The the bottom rung of of TV and film production are the runners. They are the, the beating hearts, I might mm-hmm. add. But they are like the bottom rung, and he knew them all by name and was always so nice to people. And it doesn't surprise me. It's it's one of those people that when they get into their later life, when they unfortunately pass away, you're so so happy they don't get outed as a nonce because mm-hmm. I like, imagine how devastating that would be it was like when Barry Chuckle died yeah you know it's such a huge part of our childhoods protect him at all and costs and thank goodness <laughs> he didn't do any fiddling and mm. the same I've just changed the tone I mean there so, are decent you know people like out UK, there <laughs> but like that the fact that he was he has just been remembered as a, a guy whose career spanned what 70 years yeah i mean he from, was the like, voice the of wombles, yeah the wombles the doing doctor who and of course as amy said he played um detective inspector tom campbell in dalek invasion of 2150 ad which is one of my favorite films mm-hmm. and obviously if you were watching who culture back in the day i did a, i did a whole video about why the peter cushing films are excellent and i've literally just rewatched them because they've just released new 4k steelbooks of them which i obviously got yeah um and i watched 2050 ad again because it's so good and it's it's bernard cribbins doing doctor who that's kind of doctor who before he did doctor who yeah so. but he was also in coronation street and he did loads of stuff on cbbc um he was just such uh, from what you know, you can kind of tell of him. He was just such a lovely guy. I mean, Russell T. Davies's Instagram post kind of summarised that mm. in a such a lovely, heartfelt way. And I really do think that, you know, he's going to leave such a hole in a lot of people's kind of memories and life. But we do still have him coming up in the 60th... Is it the 60th anniversary? The 60th, yes. So we will get That's... to see a little bit more of him. That is going to be devastating to see. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, if you saw the pictures of, of Bernard Cribbins on set for the 60th, he was in a wheelchair. Yeah. So, obviously, you know, he's getting on a bit. What was he, 93? 93, I think. Um. So, yeah, he's getting on a bit. And the fact that he's in the show at all. Uh, yeah, it's back incredible. To it, I don't think he took much convincing from Russell. No. I don't think anyone did. Um, the fact that he's going to be back is going to be so, so, so special. And there's mm-hmm. no disputing that we'll, it will be dedicated to him. And you know that they're going to make absolute top notch of all of his takes and they're going to put him in as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, I th- I'm I'm not ready to just sit there and cry. No. <laughs> like, But I all, mean, the we, fact we, that he was acting up until literally, what, like two, three months before he died is incredible. Shows how committed he was to his craft and mm-hmm. how much he was respected for it. And I'm pretty certain when it comes to all the awards ceremonies that are coming up into the new year, because normally they're right earlier in the year. Like, yeah, that's it's going to be a very, very difficult. Oh, time. he'll be one of those mentioned. At, is it the Baftas that they usually yeah, do the do like the, the, the lifetime achievement? Everything and stuff. he will just get 
so much respect that mm-hmm. that he rightfully deserves and it's uh it was a very very sad day in the Hooniverse for that but we we do still have one more outing with Wilf thank you yeah. Russell for making that possible it just with the, you know, the circumstances of the 60th are already ridiculous we discussed this last mm-hmm. time but the fact we do get Wilf back for one more go one more one more paintball one more journey one more of uh, maybe a salute or two and just it was when everyone was jokes it was when everyone was sharing the thing of everyone like, with the same gif the bit at the end of the episode where david stood in the rain and he's like oh look up at the stars and i'll think of ah yeah it was christ it was a really hard day it's one of those things where the first tweet i saw was lisa mazumba who's uh if, if you watched news round as a kid you have a big old uh, oh my god yeah I, i've loved lisa's work for decades now and and that was the first tweet i saw was was lisa mm. mazumba tweeting that he'd uh, he passed away and it's one of those things where it kind of hits you and it's like oh no it's so sad but at the same time you, you know it's coming mm. um he I'm lives still, such I, a full life though absolutely i'm still i'm still terrified about dick van dyke I want the I man know, to I live. Just, I want the man to live forever. Just thinking I love him that. To pits. How old is he? He's 96, 97. Oh my god, he is, he's not going to it. I we talk about this at work, and I had to show a clip from Mary Poppins Returns because he's there. He gets on a table mm-hmm. and dances. And he was like ninety six when they recorded it, and he just did it. And it's like this wow. guy is going to live forever. Uh, that's going to be a hard day, but yeah. Cries. Bernard Cribbins has unfortunately left us. It's been a, it's been a tough week in the Hooniverse. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you've all been thinking about the title, the, the memories you spent watching his work, be it Doctor Who, be it the Wombles, be it whatever else he did, apart from like everything. Yeah. And how, you know, Doctor Who going forward, pretty certain Wilf is going to be a staple of the show forever. Yeah. No one's going to forget him. Absolutely. Every homage that can be paid will be paid. Mm-hmm. So may you sleep well, Bernard. And we are going to miss you a lot. Anyway... Welcome to my TED talk about why the Weeping Angel should never have never uh, come back again after Blink. Uh, True. So, broadcast on the 9th of June 2007. This was when Doctor Who got. I mean, Doctor Who did experiment with the Doctor Light episode in the last series. Experiment. It was a Blue Peter competition. Well, yeah, but it was. Yeah, well, that was the villain, but the actual experimentation of making it Doctor Light, that was on. Oh, Russell. yeah. Mm. I think it's on production budget or something. We talked about that before, but anyway. I yeah. think it worked so, well. The Doctor Light episodes are an interesting idea. And there have been there were three of them in the Rusty Davis era. There were Love and Monsters, there was Turn Left in series four. Mm-hmm. And then of course there was Blink in series three. And this is Stephen Moffat's Magnum opus. Oh yeah. It is his Mona Lisa. Yeah. We all thought that, you know, Empty Child and Doctor Dances. Ain't nothing getting scarier than that. Oh boy! Yeah, how wrong <laughs> well, we, we wrong. were. <laughs> now, do you know what? First, straight out the gate, right? I said I've said this when we've done this podcast before. Like Dalek scared the crap out of me as a kid. It's one of the mm-hmm. reasons I love Dalek so much. You you know you get scared by something and you immediately love it. We were talking about Hot Fuzz at work today. Okay. Um, we talk about Edgar Wright films and um, yeah. We were talking about Hot Fuzz and how, and I said I first watched it in like 2007 when it first came out, and I it scared me, it scared me to death. The, the sort of horror elements, the gore, the creepy mm-hmm. hooded figures. As a kid, I was a wimp, like massive wimp when it comes to anything. What do you scary. mean as a kid? Shush. Uh, 
anything scary on like TV or film, I was like really bad with it. I just could not do it. And Hot Fuzz nah. terrified me. And then I became like obsessed with Edgar Wright's work. And that's one of the things I took with me when I went to university and, and like used him as inspiration and so on and so forth. Yeah. Anyway, Dalek scared me. Empty Child, Dr. Dances, already told you that mentally scarred me. And even now, you watch Dr. Constantine change, still sends shivers down your spine <laughs> because hell no. Um, Blink, it didn't. It I didn't loved scare it. you. First time I saw Blink, I was like, that was brilliant and I'm not scared. I'm it was sorry, like, I don't know what? how. It's like, you know, needle in a haystack, there's this one little bit of armour and there's all these, this dart being thrown and it's like 99.99% of the chance it's going to hit me right in the dick and I'm going to be scared for the rest of my life. But for some reason, back in the day, Blink just didn't. Oh, no. And I don't know why. No, I don't know it why. Should. It just didn't. I was watching it about half an hour ago and I got goosebumps throughout mm-hmm. 90% of the episode because it's just so bloody incredible and I don't know how it didn't scare you I literally I did, used I don't to know watch either. That's the thing. I used and to I'm watch that just... episode and you know you'll know the listeners I'm going to try and explain this to you in a way that you can picture when I get scared I do a hand flappy thing <laughs> so yeah. my arms or you squeeze my leg my arms pin to my sides and my wrists are like loose. If you and- ever, if you picture a velociraptor getting electrocuted <laughs> or a T Rex getting <laughs> electrocuted, that's what happens. Or a T Rex trying to fly. That's what it's like. It's like I do that. I just I'm, I'm like flapping so that it it's getting the excess energy of being scared out of my body, and it particularly happens when I'm being chased in a video game or I'm watching someone be chased in a video game, that's when the why, arm flappies This happen. is why you're so excited for Dead by Daylight, the board game, yes. and not playing the not video game. Not Dead by Daylight, the video game. It. But my sister does it too. She claps, like, when she's scared. <laughs> she goes, because it's trying to get that excess energy out of your body that you just can't... Was she frightened? I mean, I would say stupid question. Was oh, she frightened yeah. the Weeping Angels? We were absolutely terrified. We we were screaming. We were like hiding by pillows. I mean, how old were we? We were supposed to be 2007. Uh, we've been what? So we were 12. 12. And I, well, Laura was 14, but we, I was 12. Still. And yeah, I just, it's just one of them that is like, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it was. I, I remember watching it and, and like really appreciating the story of it and, and what and how it was done. But just for some reason, that thing that terrified other people just did not, it didn't, so much didn't land with me. It just didn't, it didn't cling. Mm. And it's like, I, I, I genuinely cannot tell you why. There's been stuff more in more recent years that scared me a lot. And Blink just wasn't one of them. But you see, for me, I think it comes down to the being chased thing. Because I don't like that it when true. there's no safety at the end. You know when you're playing a video game and you're running and you're in a scene where you're running and you've got no determ like, what's the word I'm looking for? No point of safety that you can see coming up. There's sort of, and you're running and you're running and you're running and you're like, please, 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 please. And that it's that feeling. It's that not knowing when safety is going to be because they're constantly pursuing you. And I think that's what scares me is the fact that there's basically no way of ever stopping them pursuing you. Like, that's it. Once you've seen them, you're done. And it's it was that notion that I think scared me most. But also... Just the incredible sound design and the incredible cinematic, like, the cinematography. That's the word I was looking for. Um, 
it's just it all just works in such a poignant way that you can't help but even after all the iterations of the awful angels have come to pass yeah. you still watch this episode and it's still scary in my opinion yeah it's a, a, a majestically crafted episode as soon as the credits rolls i just said a masterpiece genuinely mm-hmm. is an absolute masterpiece it does so well obviously being a dr light episode it, it's it's difficult to to make people engage with it and stick with it but this, the beauty of it is its simplicity mm-hmm. here's a here's a creature that sends people back in time it feeds off potential energy but it that opening with sally the angel being constantly thrown into shot you're like you got the mm-hmm. peeling away, the peeling away the the wallpaper and stuff happening, and like it's it's just sort of foreshadowing the whole conversation with the doctor in the past and the present, and so on and so forth. Like it's kind of it's sort of doing that with on a one sided level with the doctor's writing behind the wallpaper. Yeah. So you're already being introduced to that being a facet of the episode. Same thing with seeing the angel over and over again. This is the threat. Easy peasy. You mm-hmm. get that. There's that potential like corniness. The first shot in the police station when she's looking out the window at the really bad map painting of the angels yeah. on the church. And then it zooms in on her eyes and you think, this is a bit more of a... Explicit. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an, yeah, it's an explicit use of cinematography that's not implicit, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. the, the way how... We, uh, what was it, was it we were talking about? Was it... Was it last episode? Was it something before? Lazarus Experience, I think it was. How loads and loads of the episode was shot on the Dutch on the a Dutch yeah. angle. Mm-hmm. Was it Lazarus Experiment? It was yeah, one it of was. Them. Yeah, it is. Like all this stuff was shot on a Dutch angle, and it's this implicit use of cinematography to tell you something's different and tell mm-hmm. you something's wrong, trying to convey something. Most people won't notice that, but Blink it does it so differently. It goes, here's a really obvious, super obvious zoom, way quicker than a camera would be, because you can mm-hmm. tell it's done digitally. It's done digitally, yeah. And it's like it's telling you to look. They are blinking. The episode's called Blink. Mm-hmm. Like you've seen the next time from last week. Like you know you can't blink, but here it is happening, and the angels are gone. That's all you need to know. Like the doctor doing his exposition jump on the DVD, that was bound to happen. Yeah. But the thing is, they didn't open with it. They no. do this implicit exposition to say this is what's going on. But they don't. The beauty of this, as we talked about before, about Chris Chibnall's era of Who. The episode, like the, the episodes, treat you like an idiot. The writing mm-hmm. treats you like an idiot. You need to have everything spelled out to you. There's no faith in the viewer, and honestly, that's what Moffat's early work and the Russell T Davies era does so well. Is it doesn't think you're thick. Yeah. It's like you're watching this. Let's give you the ammunition. Ammunition. You can work it out yourself. We'll give you some hints. Yes, we'll give you an exposition dump towards the end. Yada yada yada. But let's let you work things out for yourself and you feel like you're part of it because mm-hmm. you're in the same position as Sally, Sally. and oh Christ what's he called <laughs> oh do you mean Larry Larry um like Sally and Larry Sally and Larry you you are you're part of that it's it's a trio there's those two and there's you you're all in this together mm-hmm. high school musical aside <laughs> and you, you know go get yeah. lost in that in that world of derelict houses, rain and police stations. And do you know what I... get very scared. Do you know what I really like about this episode was we said it downstairs that the pacing is so well done because you wouldn't believe that they managed to fit this into, what was it, a 50-minute episode, a 45-minute episode, something like that? Yeah, 45 minutes. Um, You wouldn't believe that they managed to tell that story in 45 minutes because you think there's so much to cram in. But actually watching it again... 
made me realize just actually how little goes on it's one of those incredible episodes that does a lot with a little and not mm-hmm. a little with a lot um and it basically gets straight into the action almost with sally going into the house and you think oh is this going to be like almost a cold open type thing um is it a cold open yes yeah um but you think oh this is just going to be the setup for the rest of the episode and then the doctor's going to come in and when it does that sequence of her peeling off the wallpaper it only needs that one section of a scene for you to go oh this is some clever crap going on here and you it draws you in so quickly because like you said the framing of the angel being in the corner of her eye the whole time in the reflection looking out the window and the guy turning up at the door and just i know that that's not in that scene that's after the uh, intro but just everything to do with the pacing just works so spectacularly that it didn't need to do too much it does everything it needs to do basically in one scene because that one scene kind of tells you this is how the story is this is how it's gonna go you're gonna get a lot of back and forth a lot of looping a lot of bootstrap bootstrap paradox that's really hard to say and um yeah and sort of within the first 10-15 minutes of the episode you've already got the whole episode spelled out for you of how it happens and yet it doesn't get boring because nope. even though it repeats it's like oh one person goes missing and lands in the past oh a second person goes missing and lands in the past it doesn't get boring it's so because it only happens twice and i think that's the key thing is that it doesn't overdo that mechanic um but Again, yeah it doesn't it's, treat you like an idiot it, no the, the episode exactly. lets you like work things out for yourself and it's gen- it is one of the best things about it. I mean, it re- it's reminiscent of the Doctor not being there. Mm-hmm. You don't have somebody there to explain what's going on. You have to work it out for yourself. You get dribs and drabs and bits yeah. and pieces, but it's, it is an absolute masterwork of Doctor Who. But also, and- I don't think the fact that the Doctor's... I, I Hang on, wait, let me rephrase that sentence. <laughs> I don't think the fact that the Doctor's not in it makes a difference... I hope you can all follow that sentence. Basically, what I'm trying to say is the fact that the Doctor isn't in it really doesn't matter because you forget, you almost forget that it's a Doctor Who episode once all the the titles roll. You go back to Sally and you're like, cool, we're sticking with this because for once you actually don't want the Doctor to interrupt proceedings. You want to completely follow the story that she embarks on because you want to know how the writing got on the wall. You want to know how the angel managed to throw a rock through the window. You want to know all these bits and pieces that are introduced within the first two, three minutes of the episode. And so the fact, I mean, personally, I watch this and I kind of think I'm glad the doctor's not in it because the bits that he's in it are fine and they are expositionary and they're needed. But, also, the way he does the exposition, the way Stephen Moffat wrote the exposition is so clever, so... I mean, it's so Sherlock, isn't it? Just the way he kind of... Well, it's just... It's it's the way that it's not thrown in your face. Yeah. The exposition is, is hard-baked into the whole concept. It doesn't feel like an add-on to go, right, I think we might have lost people. Mm-hmm. Let's let's catch everyone up, which is... <laughs> we keep ragging on it. Well, it's, yeah. how it's how it, It's how the dialogue went. But, I mean... You're saying about like going back to it and, and reappreciating it, and that actually leads into 
what are the questions there's a bunch of questions uh, yeah thank you so much about this this episode obviously i'm not surprised that's the case but if you have been putting in the uh your questions on the spotify q a feature which is has been an absolute godsend yeah it's really say. good loads and loads of different names loads of new people who've been able to contribute to this podcast's like question section so many that there's like we can't answer every single one um but we have decided to do a q a episode at some point in the future so stay tuned for that probably mm-hmm. after this series which is only technically in one episode time so yeah um uh, so many of these come through and so many of them cover the same basis there's a few that will be ones that i was very much expecting and yes there have been multiple of the same thing so if you ask the same question as somebody that said somebody else's name it's not that i didn't see you i did yeah I we appreciate you picked one of them that had that topic anyway um so matt gray asked that like this episode was initially scary to me initially over time but uh, but over time it's become less so do you think that rewatching episodes can lead to these episodes losing impact and becoming boring in retrospect? Which is irrelevant to Blink, an interesting question that I don't think we've even had yet no. in terms of a rewatch. Um, I think it truly depends on how often you rewatch them. Hmm. Um, for example, Rich is a keen purveyor of constantly watching The Simpsons and Family Guy and American Dad on a loop. Yeah, um, boy. However, we've now moved on to NCIS, which is far better. Um, <laughs> but I think it truly depends on how often you watch them because if you watch the same thing enough, of course you're going to get bored of it. However, I think the reason you rewatch things is to relive that kind of emotion that you felt the first time you watched it. For me, when I rewatch stuff, it's because I either need a comfort or I just really, really want to feel that nostalgia so for me it's things like the harry potter films and pitch perfect stuff that i go back to frequently because it's really easy to watch it's really comforting it's really nice it's really like it gives me a warm hug in cinema um and not that blink gives you a warm hug like do not <laughs> i'm from not saying that perspective, at all. It does. but from a nostalgia perspective it totally does and i think the reason you rewatch things like this is because you want that memory of how it felt the first time you watched it. And yeah. Blink was terrifying the first time I watched it. And sure, I don't get terrified like I used to, but it's kind of fun to rewatch things for the sake of added value. I mean, the reason we're doing this rewatch podcast is for the added value that we're getting from kind of semi-analyzing everything. Um, but I do think if you look at it in that way yes you could easily get bored of stuff but i think it just depends on your temperament as well and your personality like some people get bored of things more quickly than others it really doesn't i, th- I don't think it's a necessary thing if you rewatch something 50 times you get bored of it maybe if you did in quick succession sure i mean there's a great example of um there's a girl on youtube called l mills who um not sure how many of you have heard of her but she became really popular um through a video that she did of her coming out story um and uh she did a video where she watched um the lizzie mcguire movie on repeat for i think it was 48 hours or something like that and she literally only it was just a a weird challenge but even by the end of it even by the end of it she was like i don't think i hate it i just think i'm bored of it (laughs) I mean, talk about Hot Fuzz earlier. That was a film I could watch on repeat quite mm-hmm. happily. It's just so good. I mean, as for going back to like 
as I said, I wasn't scared of Blink, so I don't look at it in that same way. I look at it as a just a, an overall piece of work and how well it was done. You kind of think, how does, especially when you look at Stephen Moffat, which I think is probably our next point, like, mm-hmm. how does somebody create something so incredible like Blink, like The Empty Child Doctor Dances, and then his some of his future work, and then go on to just produce some crap mm-hmm. i mean not everyone can can absolutely hit the nail on the head 100 percent of the time i don't think anybody can no but it, it it's it's sometimes so peculiar to see there's such a strange uh, disparity between something yeah. like blink and some of the stuff that we saw during moffat's reign as showrunner between series five and ten like not so much because obviously there have been episodes he's written that haven't been amazing in his era. There have been episodes that he won- that weren't written by him that obviously still came out under his watch that were complete dog. Trash. Yeah. So it's like, it's weird to see this disparity. But then do you also think that's partially down to the fact that when you... It seems to be a bit of a trend that when you're a showrunner on Doctor Who that you start off really, really well and you just taper towards the end. Although I think the only thing that breaks the mold on that is Russell. I don't think Russell really Russell tapered too much like at all. Not at he all. obviously had the odd flub episode here and there, oh, but yeah. most of the time he was top notch. Um, but the Stephen Moffat thing could have also been down to the fact that he was expelling a lot of his energy on Sherlock. Well, that is, I mean, that is true. I and remember so when, he, you when know, series seven got split in half yeah. because of Sherlock production schedules and mm-hmm. everyone was just like, oh my God, I can't believe that Sherlock is messing up Doctor Who at the moment. And this was when Sherlock, I can't remember what series it would have been, but I think it was when Sherlock started to go downhill. Mm. And boy, did it go downhill. I haven't rewatched Sherlock in a long time. No. For precisely the reason of I don't want to put myself through series one and two being like God tier TV, series three being eh, and series four being a pile. Awful. Like, it's such a shame as well. But that actually leads us quite nicely onto Steph G95's question. Um, saying, with Weeping Angels and Empty Child being some of the scariest New Who monsters, do you think Moffat is best when leaning into that scary side rather than the whimsical edge he tries sometimes? And the simple answer to that <laughs> is, yeah. That was one of the reasons why back in 2009, it would have been, I think it was announced, um, that... David Tennant was leaving and subsequently the Russell Davies was leaving and Stephen Moffat being appointed his successor. When you look back and think, I remember seeing Stephen Moffat thinking, oh, what was his name? Oh, what, did, what did he do? Looking mm. back at it, it's like, oh, he did Empty Child Doctor Dances. Oh, he did Blink. He did um, Silence of the Library and Forest of the Dead. It's like, oh, good Two God. It's the guy. good episodes. Silence of the Library, Forest of the Dead scared me to death. Yeah, absolutely horrific. Like, they are the episodes that terrified me and that got me excited. I swear I've said this on EK before. Probably. I was so excited for Moffat to become showrunner because I was like, he's going to make Doctor Who flipping terrifying. I'm still waiting for some... I know, it's, I know that it's a family show, but I, I want there to be more instances of going even obviously today you know we're nearly 30 now like we don't oh my god <laughs> we don't get scared we don't get scared in the same way as we did when we were 12 I watching blink don't know that but, just scared me <laughs> sorry but like i want there to be a showrunner to come back and properly lean into that side of i want to make everyone's skin crawl not yeah. just kids i want to make everyone feel a bit uncomfortable because that's what doctor who is it's scary yeah 
and that was that was the hope I had with Moffat's era. And then I watched Eleventh Hour, and I was like, okay. I mean, I get the, it. Uh, the only real episode of, of of the Moffat era I can think of that I that did make my skin crawl would have been Night Terrors. Night Terrors. The kids with the doll's house. Oh my god, I love that episode. Yeah, that was <gasps> terrifying. Yo, that's a good episode. But I think the thing that obviously the whimsical side of Stephen Moffat is yeah okay it wasn't quite what we expected but a lot of the time it worked i mean i kind of don't understand why he went for uh matt smith's doctor suddenly being far more alien than we were all used to i mean i know we're kind of getting into the territory of talking about more stephen moffat than the episode but in the questions if for answering the question's sake the fact that Matt Smith's doctor became suddenly, I don't know what Earth is. I don't know what's this, what's this, like a proper yeah. alien would. It felt a bit disjointed from the doctor that we'd known as David Tennant. I mean, I know that Eccleston had his small moments of being like, what's that? But it wasn't ever for pure comedic, comedic effect. effect. Well, it was for comedic it effect. It was, but it wasn't I know what you so mean. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a, a persistent character trait. Yeah, it was... But- yeah. It was something that he did do better with Peter Capaldi mm-hmm. when he had his flashcards because it was not so much that he he'd like almost lost this mentality, he'd become this more whimsical idiot of a character like Matt Smith's eleventh doctor was. Capaldi's twelfth doctor became this arrogant, it was his attitude that changed. It wasn't yeah. this sort of I know that persona does change between doctors, obviously, mm-hmm. but like yeah, Matt Smith's Doctor felt like such a departure. Capaldi's was like this was kind of the idea that Moffat had, or this was the this was the facet he thought he was going to change and, mm. and challenge with Eleventh Doctor, and he did it better with the Twelfth, with him being arrogant, with him needing flashcards to to show some compassion. I know that very much plays onto Peter Capaldi because everyone yeah. knows it was Malcolm Tucker. So good through the thick of it, it's been taken off Netflix. What a series! Why, um, but um. Like, yeah, that's something that, that, that Capaldi's Doctor did a lot better. But then um, I always think that the reason Capaldi's Doctor did that a lot better is because of the fact that he's a grumpy old man and not because of the fact that he's an alien. Because it's kind of something that we as millennials have to deal with a lot is the grumpy older generation not caring enough to learn. And I yeah. feel like that is something <laughs> it's that... It's the epitome of modern boomers, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, like Peter... Peter Capaldi kind of reflected that almost semi I'm a grumpy old man attitude so I'm not going to bother trying to learn who you are or what this is whereas Matt Smith's doctor was the youngest doctor we'd ever had Um, is he still the youngest doctor we've ever had or is Shuti Gatwick going to be younger than him Uh, I don't know I think think that I think that still goes to I think uh, Matt Matt. Um, yeah Shuti Gatwick was 29 Oh, and how old was Matt? Was he like 24, 25 like when he 20, got cast? I think he was about 24, 25, 26 um, or something, yeah. So that's why it felt so jarring was because Matt Smith's doctor was young and he was, obviously to us, he was an adult, but he kind of plays that, almost that too childlike nature of not knowing what stuff is and not grow, being yeah. grown up enough to understand what stuff is. And I get that he was the youngest doctor, but I still think we should have seen a more... Because he was so emotionally mature for a Doctor, like, and not as mature as Eccleston and David's Doctor were. But in at times, he 
is this very, very emotionally mature doctor. And I think that's why it was so jarring, this whimsical side of him, because it was like, are you going for the childlike nature of not knowing what anything is? Or are you going for the emotionally mature, I understand because I'm a thousand years old kind of thing? You, It felt like a weird juxtaposition and I'm not sure that both of it worked all the time. Yeah. But Anyway, getting a bit off topic, as we always do here on EK. We <laughs> no were answering the question. So, yeah. Um, going back to the episode, and there's a couple, obviously, there are questions that all revolve around the same thing. Because I feel, you know, we talked about the episode itself. It's almost like it's so good. There's almost so little to talk about because the story is so straightforward in its mm-hmm. execution, yet it's fantastic. Like, they, it, it's it's amazing. It's almost like, okay, we've talked about the amazing stuff. The the most, the biggest talking point based on all the questions that have come in for this episode and just the general conversation around Blink as a whole. And that's the future. That is where we go from here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got, obviously there's a couple of questions, about, uh, massive questions about this. And obviously I opened the episode by saying it's time to talk about why the angels should have never come back. Yeah. Um, why? Asks... Uh, you said you think Weeping Angels works better as a one-off. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but you, would you say the village of the angels is a good and justified angel story? Now, okay. without going... Remind without, me which one that is. Village of the Angels <laughs> is the most recent angel story in That's series what I 13. Thought. That's what I thought. I think rather than... We're not going to go too deep into this because obviously we're going to go way down a rabbit hole of another episode entirely that literally aired like what, 10, few... 15 years later. Yeah. Um, village of the angels is the best of the rest mm-hmm. uh it was a way more solid story than i ever expected especially within the chibnall era which you know overall has not been very good but then did chibnall write village of he the didn't angels? write it no he he it was like a co-writing credit or something well but he... then there you go sorry <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's, it's the only episode i would say that hasn't been a complete dumpster fire um it definitely played upon more interesting horror... That's tr- a horror trope. It played upon more interesting horror e. scenarios Horry. than the other <laughs> Angel episodes attempted to do. Yeah. So the Village of the Angels is definitely the best of the rest. Doesn't mean it should have been made, though. No, I mean, it's definitely... If you were to ignore the fact that everything else in between was made and just look at those two... Village of the Angels is the closest predecessor to Blink that we got. However, does not necessarily mean it was a particularly good episode. I think it was good on Chibnall's terms. And like I said, he didn't actually write it. He was co-writer credit, which basically means that he input for the overarching plot and not much more. Um, But... The problem with The Village of the Angels is that you still get way too disappointed by the outcome of the episode. And obviously we'll go down this into a lot more detail when we eventually get to rewatching Chibnall's era. But the fact that at the end they give you this teaser of the Doctor turning into an angel and then the next episode is just like, ah, but, but gone. Not happens, doesn't matter, nothing relevant, just a bit of a transport kind of ruins it. Because up to that point, it was such a good throwback 
to the original feeling of the angels is having to introduce people to them, having to get them to understand why they're so dangerous, why they're so scary. You get that whole situation of them um, infiltrating the house and coming in all the different entrances and only one guy being able to fight them off by staring at them and the lights being fixed, all the good tropes that you had in this episode. But there was a lot of characters in Village of the Angels. There was the parents or the grandparents or whatever they were that went missing, the little girl that goes missing. There was, you know, what was her name? The the I'm trying to think. I can't psychic. remember. Psychic. Yeah. And then well, there was the, the... There was the doc... The, the, the professor The professor, person. and then there was the doctor herself, and then there was Yaz, and there was... Uh, Dan. Uh, Dan. I went to call him John. <laughs> I was like, no, that's his real name. Um... So there's all sorts, of, and I think the reason Blink works so much better is because there's basically only four characters in the whole episode, other yep. than the Doctor and Martha. As you've we got said, it's a stripped back story because of production schedules and, and that's stuff. Why they had it to do with the Doctor Light, and it works so well. But Village of the Angels is sadly a bit one of those. I mean, it is the like you said, it's the best out of a bad bunch. The rest of them should never have been made. And Village but of the all Angels of them should have been made apart from Blink. Village but. of the Angels would have had so much more impact had it been the first since Blink. Yeah. But I, yeah, it's just been so let down by what came before it and mm-hmm. all of its predecessors just kind of ruined it to the point where it's like, yeah, it's great, but also it's another Angels. <laughs> like I said, I, I don't understand the the people that get excited with the Angels coming back. Like, I get that they scared you. I get that you like them as an alien, as, a, as an enemy. But uh-huh. they peaked with their opening episode and that means they should have never come back just to sort of go through there's a couple of questions i've got here that are all kind of under the same umbrella yeah i thought when i was putting them into a document to to, to whittle them down i thought oh these will be different enough and it's like not in reality these are all gonna be, we can kind of cover these all with a with let's the same old let's brush do let's do it um, quick fire questions Exactly. So uh, Dalek42 uh, asked about, do you think their explanations and their later reappearances, like seeing them moving in series five of how the angels work, make them less scary? Oh, absolutely. Um, there's a couple of them. I'm just going to put these all together and we're going to answer them as That's a big fine. group. Um, where is it? 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 You mean you uh, didn't put them in order? I did. Oh, Melissa. Yeah. Melissa asked about whether we... Uh, she thinks it's the best Weeping Angels story. In the next few times we see them, additional lore is given. They start to become less simplistic mm-hmm. and therefore less scary. Mm-hmm. Do you think they should, le- should have been left off as a one-off villain? Obviously, yes. Yep. That is that is the thing. When they were coming back to the Angels, obviously being so popular, like the Weeping Angels are, you, you, I'd argue they're like the Daleks of New Who. Back in the yeah. 60s, the Daleks exploded. Dalek mania was a thing. There's a whole documentary about mm-hmm. it and it just like everyone loved the Daleks they were there constantly it was that's why the movies got made with Peter Cushing it's yeah. why they kept coming back over and over and over again it's why they were so popular it's why the show succeeded at the end of and the they're day. still so popular and they're still amazing have you seen my shelving they've Obviously. just literally as of like the other day they announced some new Dalek uh models from character options luckily for my wallet none of them that I'm immediately going to buy so thank god I'm okay but also um, Richard have I seen your shelving I literally live with you I'm not. I didn't ask that to you, <laughs> Dumbo. Well, um, but yeah, like the Weeping Angels were this 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 huge phenomenon in Doctor Who. This like David Tennant was like the first big one, mm-hmm. and then it was the Angels as well. So it's like 
and it was as I said Moffat's magnum opus he comes back as the showrunner he was gonna bring him back in some way shape or form and it was in the time of angels and flesh and stone yeah I which way round it is I think uh, it was flesh and stone in the time of angels I can't remember either way I don't know I don't remember that because I, I think didn't, it's I didn't, flesh and stone first yeah I didn't like that two-parter. I was still at this time, and even in the series, I'm looking forward to getting to series five because I remember watching series five and not being sure about Matt Smith's Doctor. Mm-hmm. And But then was that because we were so attached to David? Because no, I mean... Because I look back at his first series and I was like, his first series was probably still his strongest, but I'm still not, I'm, I was never convinced by his character. There Aww. are things about his character mm. that I'm still not convinced by. I stand to, I stand by it. When Matt Smith get when Matt Smith gets angry, he sounds like Bubbles Devere. So, <laughs> genuinely, right? You get to the, right. Bubbles, darling. Yeah, right. <laughs> Go back. When we watch it again, watch Asylum of the Daleks, one of the okay. most disappointing Dalek stories. So much oh, potential, yeah. completely cocked it up. Right at the start, he gets put in front of the Dalek parliament and he goes, Along here, I last, am. here I am. Yeah. It's like, you sound like Matt Lucas playing Bubbles DeVere, for mm-hmm. God's sake. Anyway, I've lost my point. Um, Your point was about Tough Flesh Time and Avengers, Stone. Flesh and Stone like they yeah they they have to do something like there are people who think angel bob is brilliant and i'm like yeah i can understand it's 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 very much playing on that idea of the the consciousness remaining to some extent it's like exactly what happened in uh forest of the dead in series four that mm-hmm. that that little that little party you're clinging back onto life it's still kind of there hey but obviously turned angel, the lights. angel bob uses it in a malicious intent and it's it's like you know oh they snap my neck it's like it's 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 brutal it's dark but it's it's again these are the things as as Melissa has said about how they keep explaining things and it makes it less scary mm-hmm. it's that thing where they don't they're they're answering questions nobody had or nobody yeah. should have nobody been needed. Asking. like people there'll be the people that will always dig into that like what was what was Sally doing in the house. But I can't remember whether she was like just exploring. She or was. A she she or just said. What? I mean, was it her friend Catherine? Kathy. Kathy at the start. Kathy goes, about... "Why the hell were you here?" And she goes, "I like it. It's old, and I like old things. They make me sad." And Kathy goes, "But what's good about being well, sad?" Exactly. And it's that's like, all the explanation you need. There are certain things you don't need to dig into. She just is an explorer. Like, the angel, the beauty of the angels, as we've discussed with other creatures, especially when we get, we get to next series, like the midnight entity. Mm-hmm. We don't, you, know, you don't need to know anymore because yeah, it it'd just be worked. like them giving a body to the midnight entity. Giving the body a backstory, they just bad that and then be. showing them moving. Like at no point does showing the angels moving make them scary. No, it, it actually removes. Yeah, it removes everything about them that was scary. It's like why are we seeing them move? Because also, doesn't that just completely negate? everything that david explains in this episode that the doctor says they can't move when they're being observed and you kind of the way that moffat writes this episode is that that includes us as the viewer when we are observing the angels they don't move even like yes the characters in the episode are staring at them yes they're not blinking but when we observe them they don't move and the that kind of is what bridges the gap between um the in show and the breaking the fourth wall kind of thing is that at no point do we as a viewer 
ever see them move because that completely removes what is scary about them. If we saw them move, it would be like, but hang on a minute, why are we being told that they can't move if they're being looked at and yet we're looking at them and they're moving? And I really think that that's what Moffat ruined in Flesh and Stone because it's just, it removes you from the scary element and it it makes you kind of think, well, hang on a minute, why, um, this isn't scary because I can now clearly see that they're not they're not these otherworldly creatures that the doctor explains in blink because he says that they don't that you don't even know what they are when they're not stone and that's the point of what makes them scary is the fact that when they're not stone that's the scary part i always picture them not looking like stone but when yeah. they move they're still stone it's like i thought they would become flesh and blood again and then bada boom they're stone again no but- see i don't even picture them as flesh and blood i picture them as kind of like this weird gaseous entity thing that just oh, exists right. like but that's what kind of upsets me about the fact that we see them move in flesh and stone is why why does nobody needs to see them move because that totally removes the whole purpose the fact that they can move means they shouldn't be being observed Okay, let's just it's just so annoying. <laughs> I'm going to right, I'm going to coin this for the for the old history books for the Doctor Who historians that are listening uh, when we when you write about Blink in uh, on the 100th anniversary of the episode's airing in 20, 2107 uh, I would like you to talk uh, like to, to to cite me, cite Amy as well, I guess. Um, sure, why not? And uh, when you talk about the 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 way that the character the character the idea of the Weeping Angels was completely re- removed by continuing to expand on it, it's called the Russell Howard conundrum. Wow, um, rude! <laughs> I think I've said this before on the on this podcast. No, he you've said it to his, me. I'm not sure if he you've ruins said it all on of the his podcast. jokes by over explaining them. So. I yeah, like Russell Howard, okay? I know. I I like him as well, but he just needs to stop his little jokes about two-thirds of the way through and then they'll remain funny. Yeah, um, right. It's the Russell Howard conundrum. So I think actually it's the Chris Chibnall conundrum. <laughs> no. Um, Over-explaining yeah. everything. And then after that, like obviously they had to keep trying to up the stakes. Mm-hmm. Like the be- As we've said, the beauty of Blink is in the simplicity yeah flesh and stone etc it's like amy's turning into an angel the image of an angel can itself become an angel which automatically just paradoxes so much yeah what a stupid decision from Mm -hmm. uh, i mean no from stephen to make if you Um, think about it the fact that the image of an angel becomes an angel means that all of those photos that sally gave the doctor would automatically then become angels and again it's trying it's trying to do that that thing so so the episode for example go back to, back to blink specifically the episode ends with the whole montage of looking at statues and R- uh, moffat's work very much leans into let's take something you all know and let's make it scary let's mm-hmm. use statues let's use shadows let's use let's blinking ma- <laughs> let's maybe take something that was already creepy enough during a time that was not great for people to remember i.e gas masks terrifying mm-hmm. in the second world war not a nice time. Let's make it even scarier because screw you and your nightmares. Yeah, sure, um, why not? That's what Moffat did. And it's like, let's try and take it to the next step, really. It's like, oh, the image, uh, you know, people have got wallpapers and, and, and cut out standees of the Weeping Angels because obviously, as similar to Daleks in the 60s, they could merchandise the crap out of it. Angel And Mania. lo and behold, they did. <laughs> and it's like, okay, now you've got these Weeping Angel toys in your house they can now become angels according to the show just to try and creep you out a bit more. It's like, nice try, mate. But that's, as I said, that's just paradox to hell of a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Remember when, I mean, <laughs> spoilers for 
Fantastic Beasts. Remember when it's it was funny. like, oh, you're a Dumbledore and everyone just went, but how? Why? How's that going to work? Yeah. And obviously they, they did kind of make it work, but so very unceremoniously oh, and stupid. did they? Mm, that's anyway, a whole nother like, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, that, that's that whole thing. Like you, you didn't, like you just tried to add something to it and you kind of balls it up in the process. And then Angels Take Manhattan good god it's the worst Ugh, of the lot it's because not because it's good. like okay let's have cherubs it's like cool a, a weeping angel variant yeah, nice that's why? what we all wanted and then again another stupid decision that would make absolutely zero sense the statue of liberty as well it's like come yeah on. i mean it- at no, literally at no point in time at no point ever since it was first erected has the statue of liberty not been looked at i know it's just it's one of the, it's like yes it's doctor who yes it's alien yes it's not meant to be real but at the same time it's like the beauty the thing that makes doctor who episodes scary the thing that makes the weeping angel scary is the fact that they're they're fundamental like uh asset over you is based in reality mm-hmm. is grounded in reality as soon as you break that they lose all of their potential. They lose yeah. all of their fear factor. They lose themselves. So- and also, it's more to the point of kind of like, I understand that the idea behind using the cherubs and using the Statue of Liberty is to kind of be like, they're everywhere. Ooh. Mm-hmm. But it's... The Weeping Angels don't just, like, have kids. Do you know what I mean? Like, they breed off of the time energy. That's what the Doctor said, right? So, it, 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 he might not have said that in this episode, but it's been established breed, that yeah. they, they you know, they thrive on this time energy. So, in my head, that means the more they get the time energy, the more they can multiply. I see it as multiplying rather than breeding. Yeah, I, I don't... Do you know what I mean? It'd be quite interesting if somebody, like nipped outside and saw two Two angels angels doggy style in their garden it's like whoops but my point is the whole perp like the reason i picture the angels as this kind of weird gaseous entity gaseous gaseous i don't know if i'm saying that right gaseous is because they have one form that they permanently freeze into when they're observed so I mean, yeah, okay, maybe that would be more representative of, like, them actually being flesh or something like that. But the way I see it is that the cherubs just... uh, Why do they exist? Because, I mean, if the angels only have one form when they're observed, which we've clearly seen in this episode, they all look exactly the same, is then how? How do these weird cherub things come to exist? How does the Statue of Liberty come to exist do you know what i mean like it doesn't have any links to what we already know and it's removed that whole the reason they the reason they're so good is because they're a silent enemy i think that like is a key point because they don't talk because they don't threaten you because they don't reveal their big master plan they just do what they are straight up doers they don't care they don't hang around as soon as you see them that's it you're basically dead and that gets removed by angel bob and the whole situation because there's no way in um flesh and stone and uh what is the other one called valley of the angels whatever the bloody Uh, call it time of angels time of angels and angels take manhattan that they can't they physically can't observe all of them ever at all 
at any point, especially yeah, when they're in given, that huge cave. Blink Blink is given so much leeway, but again, from a from a story perspective, from a storytelling perspective, it's it's like the ellipsis of time, mm-hmm. where there's a 10 second countdown that lasts for 45 seconds worth of screen time. Yeah, that's they they can play with it, and you if you if you want to go and pick out pick away at it, then by all means and go wank yourself off and no one cares that you're trying to put point out that that's not technically correct mm. but like yeah they, they, they when you're working with four angels it's a little bit more you get a bit more leeway yeah because Hundreds you only, i'm pretty sure you only ever see four or five all together it is only four because by four? the time it finishes there's only four of them there and yeah he's treated the doctor's yeah more, so. that's true um i thought there was more yeah. in the basement of the police station but that could just be me. i think it could have just been how they shot them yeah um but but yeah i think that's again that's what makes it so scary because there's less of them like you said with dalek the reason Dalek is such a good episode is because it shows how terrifyingly overpowering the Daleks can be. And yet you've suddenly got armies and armies of them that can't defeat one person. Yeah. It just, it's, yeah, the whole, I mean, it's, Angels Take Manhattan, the only true good part of that episode for me is the fact that the angels are the reason that Amy and Rory leave the series. That's the only good... But even then, it's not because it's the angels. The reason I enjoy that bit so much is is because of the emotion behind Amy and Rory leaving, because Rory obviously gets taken and Amy follows suit. Spoilers. But it's very much, for me, it's not the fact that they're angels. It could have been any, any threat that did that. Um... So the emotional goodbye is just tied to the angels because they're in that episode, but really it honestly makes it kind of less impactful, the fact that it's the angels that did it. But also we got such an emotional goodbye with them falling off the roof and then it's... That's the, that's the only good thing about that episode, in my opinion. ...that, like, they then... Oh, they fell off the roof because it's the Statue of Liberty. Great. But it's they could have just... The- paradox or you could have just had them in peril do you know what i mean like it's it it's that's it's a such conversation a shame. to have i know we get to type where but we we're talking of all things angel do you know what i mean yeah. it's such a shame so just going back to the sort of the ellipsis of time thing i mentioned earlier uh hannah asked a question that i definitely did do started to i didn't stick with it but uh she asked whether we've tried not blinking in the same way that larry couldn't mm-hmm. when he was having a having a staring contest with that angel oh, every time i watch this episode i do that oh yeah it's every like holding your breath when somebody goes underwater in a film single no time different. i physically sit there and i stare at the screen and i'm like right i'm gonna try not to blink for the amount of time that larry doesn't blink and every single time i fail but the thing is the benefit that he has got narratively is the fact that he's scared i think if you mm-hmm. were in that situation genuinely it'd be a very different story yeah yes, because the adrenaline yes, we did so obviously we, we talked about how good the episode is, how its legacy was tainted by. Well, it was tainted. It wasn't tainted. Blink itself is still an absolute oh, yeah. masterpiece. There is no question about it. The creatures going forwards lost all of their their. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of word I was looking for. Their 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 oomph, as we say. Um, 
because of because of it trying to expand them trying to do more trying to do something different with them it's like mm-hmm. you, you don't have to just leave them in their own little world let blink exist on its own <sighs> what's what's the word stew stew let it stew let mm. it let it run through your veins i don't think stew is the right word <laughs> You can have good stew if you leave if you leave a tea bag in. That's stewing it in a bad way. If you have a good good stew, it's like good soup. Good soup. Good stew. Good soup. Good stew. Um, What's, yeah, no, there's a there's a word for it though. It's kind of like ruminating. That's a good word. Ruminating. Yeah. Do you not know what ruminating you just is? Up. No, no, no. It's a real word. I promise. Ruminating is kind of. Um, I can't explain it without using the word ruminate. It's basically okay. Google. <laughs> what does ruminating mean? To think deep, to think deeply about something, or of a ruminant, chew the chud. Chew the chud. It's basically oh, sorry, chew, chewing. Chew the cud or sud. I don't know. Cud. It's cud. It's what cows create when they eat grass. Um, I want chud though. Get cud is the word you're looking for. Um, yeah, ruminating basically means to kind of think deeply on itself, or to think, or to let things stew, as it were, because you kind of. So I was l- right with stew. You sort Stop of trying were. to sound smart. But ruminating is a great word, and I've taught you something. <laughs> so, so is so... stew. Sh- yes, shush. <laughs> Not the point. So, to wrap up, the final final question that I've got for us today, and it was one that was asked by a bunch of people actually. Um, this came from Leon. And said that Vera on the YouTube channel Council of Geeks recommends Blink as the episode for someone watching for the first time should start with. Do you agree or do you recommend another starting point? Disagree. There there are two two sides of this for me. The grand scheme of things, I agree with you, Ames. Yeah, disagree with that. Disagree. If you're going to start, you start with nine. Don't skip nine. Don't be a bellend. Um, But... If you are wanting to give somebody the kind of vibe or show somebody like the pinnacle of Doctor Who, you go with Blink. Mm-hmm. Back when I was at What Culture, I was gutted I couldn't get to do this. Um, obviously, I did Who Culture and Ash, who's now PlayStation Access, did What Culture Horror. And I wanted to do a video where I sat Ash down and I made her watch Blink. Because right. I'm like, this is like the most horror-centric episode of Doctor Who. It's the best episode of Doctor Who. It's the scariest episode of Doctor Who. I want you to sit down and watch it with me. I'll watch it as the guy who's seen it before a million times. I want you to watch it as the newbie. God damn it, Ash. She'd already seen Blink. Cries. She's not a massive Doctor Who fan, but she'd seen Blink. Wow, she's a horror fan. In that particular instance of, of like, you know somebody who likes horror and you think you should watch Doctor Who. I think you'd really like it. And you think, let's just drop them in at the deep end somewhere and then get them to go back and watch it. Yes, I can understand why you'd start somebody off with Blink, but it is not a starting point to then continue on from. You can get somebody, their foot in the door with Blink, and then you tell them to go back and start with Rose. Mm, I disagree. I personally disagree. The reason I disagree is because you're literally showing them the peak of Doctor Who and it will never be that good again. But second of all, is because it's a Doctor Light episode, so it's not a good reflection of what the series is. Um, just because it's one of the best episodes, if not the best episode of New Who, does not mean you should start there because you're not going to have a clue what's going on. Even if it is a Doctor Light episode, not going to make any sense. Um, And purely kind of because you miss out on a hell of a lot if you start 
with Blink. I mean, as Rich said, don't skip nine. But the reason we say don't skip nine isn't because nine is Rich's favourite. It's because it's you can't skip it because coming into David's series, even like just as a whole, you miss so much and you don't understand the wider universe in the same way that you do if you watch nine. And I feel like with Blink there is it's so simplistic in what it does but it also is so good at what it does that you really don't experience doctor who in a nutshell in this one episode you barely experience doctor who at all the only parts of doctor who that you get in this episode are the wibbly wobbly timey wimey bits with the writing on the wall and the transcript but that's basically it the rest of it is just a little horror kind of short story of what happened to a girl in a town who went and explored a spooky house Uh, like it's i would not recommend it as the first episode because you the first episode people watch you want to encapsulate what doctor who is all about and any episode halfway through a series is not going to do that it's not going to lay down the laws of the universe for you to pick up on and it's not going to introduce you to characters that you're ever going to see again. Like, we never see Sally and Larry again. We never see, like... And so, you just... Why would you start with the peak? You you never... If you're climbing a mountain, you don't start at the top, do you? It's you, true. You work your way up because you need... To, that doc- was very deep. Thank you. Doctor... <laughs> doctor... I should get that as a tattoo, lol. Um, oh, or a quote on the wall, kitchen wall, oh. in cursive. With I'm butterflies. Going to leave you. Yeah, the I know. wedding's off. <laughs> Bye. Um, but oh, I've lost my point now. Um, Live, laugh, love. No. That was your point. No. Yeah, you, you, you are right. You my... start with you. You start with the top. Yeah. The pinnacle. So, so you, you wouldn't start at the top because oh, that was my point. The reason Doctor Who is so good, on the whole, as literally every episode of Doctor Who is because of the fact that there are some crap episodes and there are some great episodes. If you skip any of them, even the really, really bad ones, it doesn't give you anything to look forward to when there's going to be a good one. And so if you start with Blink, you're basically saying, this is the peak, it all down here from here. And it's kind of like, why would why would you do that to somebody? Why? I would never recommend it's the first episode, in my opinion. But that's just me. I don't and know what I would recommend. But I would recommend Rose. Yeah, well, obviously. Series one, episode one. It's series one, episode yeah. one. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're, you're very right on that one. I can understand showing somebody Blink as a very specific case. But yeah, you start with Rose. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. And as said, on that bombshell, that should about wrap things up. There were a bunch of questions about Kerry Mulligan becoming a companion as uh, Sally Sparrow. That was apparently offered to her for Series 4, but it oh. didn't happen. Um, I'm glad it didn't. But no, I, I'm not first. I think she's a great one-off character. So, And we wouldn't have had more time with Donna and for Donna to redeem herself, as we discussed, because mm-hmm. she's such a bitch and Runaway Bride. But anyway, that's uh, that's just a theory a game theory. What? No. Thanks for watching. No, don't, don't, <laughs> don't plagiarize us. We don't. No, we can't afford. You to just be wish sued. I was as fit as Matt Pat, don't I you? I know Matt Pat's a bit weird looking. <laughs> I don't. You used to think he was well yeah, fit, and then used you went, to. Oh, he's married. Ah, oh, damn you, it. No, 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 no. Okay, I used to think that, he was fit exactly when I was happened. eighteen, and my taste in men was not you. 
Uh, <laughs> then I met you and I was like, Mate, hmm. your life sucks. Yeah, I know. You should um, get out more and see some sexy men. Some hotter people. Hotter, hotter Although, boys. I don't think it's possible to be hotter right now. I'm absolutely sweating yeah, in my it's office. it's boiling. It's it absolutely flipping boiling. The so one of gonna, the hottest days of the year. We're going to go cool off. Uh, yeah. Um, thank you all so much for listening. And again, apologies for the wait. Uh, Blink has been probably the episode that I think you lot have been quite excited to hear. And we've been really excited Blink. for it. Yeah. It's just and life. Coming up, coming up is the three-part finale of series three because utopia the sound of drums and the last of the time lords i would argue is a three-part story and splitting them up seems kind of pointless so Mm -hmm. we're gonna do them all as one big chunk one big cajone don't know why cajone we're gonna have to try and record that on a weekend so that we actually have time to sit and watch almost three hours of doctor who back to back that is a very good point i didn't (laughs) think of that aims we'll have to sort that out um but that will be coming your way soon ish (laughs) don't ever promise that anything's no i know like you guys you guys know this and as i always mention and i always do really appreciate you don't hound us Except for that one guy on Except Instagram. Except for one person. <laughs> you Don't know be who that you person. Are. <laughs> I'm not going to name your name. Mainly because I can't remember it off the top of my head. But obviously every post, it's like, most podcast. But I'm so just going to put it... I just posted a picture of my wife. Yeah, or... just, just going to put it out there. Don't comment on somebody's engagement post asking when the podcast is. It's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, bro. <laughs> Sorry, mate. We but really yeah, appreciate, we appreciate your patience. We appreciate your time. We appreciate your support and all of the people who listen. Like seriously, holy crap sandwiches. Yeah, there's a lot I've of got you. nothing I've got nothing on a on a small podcast level to compare this to, but the numbers we see are mad. So yeah. thank you so, so much. And we appreciate each and every one of you. If you're listening on Spotify, you can hopefully look in the little QA thing. It seems to be on mobile only. I can't right. seem to see it on desktop. That might just be me. But you can actually leave questions on Spotify and that's where most of you guys listen according to my analytics. So please leave your questions on there. It's so good, as said, to see the fact that you guys do that because we get most of the questions now come through Spotify. the uh, Spotify uh, Q&A thing. So and also... Spotify, thanks for adding that in. That's absolutely wicked. It's great because if we forget to tweet, which we do sometimes, if we ever forget to there. put out a thing that says, hey, we're recording because sometimes we do and then like this happened, we tweeted two weeks ago and then stuff happened and things and life and sad things and just blare. It means that if we ever forget to like tweet or we miss the tweet or we record later the spotify questions you can do them as soon as the episode goes up for the next episode and so they will be there when we record no matter what so it's Mm -hmm. a great way to tweet us your questions if i just need to have a look on anchor to see if i can tell it to stop emailing me every time somebody does you probably can because it goes you've got new responses to your q a i'm like cool i know can you stop emailing me please you can't separate email if if you can't spotify please fix yeah (laughs) but yeah we appreciate your time thank you all so much for listening we'll see you next time for utopia sound of drums last of the time lords i was gonna you were close (laughs) return of well i would be excited for the return of captain jack but we can be excited uh, for the return of captain jack without being excited for the return of john barrowman that's all i'm saying exactly and also a uh someone we've not seen since the old uh, 1980s so uh yeah we will uh we'll see you then for that one until You hear our dulcet tones again. Dulcet. Have a (laughs) wonderful few weeks. Take care. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.